Hello everybody, good evening, good day to all of you, wherever you are, I hope you are all doing very well and welcome to the latest episode of the Ask Abhijit Show. Uh, so let's see who all is there as always. As you know, today is a live chat Q&A session. I'm going to take all the questions from the live chat so that it gives lots of you the opportunity to interact and ask questions. So we're going to do that. But before we do that, let's get into the, let's see who all is there on the live chat. Let's see the attendance. I hear that the, the IPL is on, right? So I think uh, our attendance is going to take a hit from that. But I understand. I also have been a huge sports fan, so I totally understand that. So let's see who all is there. I can see Tarun Khatri, once upon a dime, as Menor, Tanmay Deshpande, Animesh, Vishnu Mohanan, Aman Pandey, Nir, Naman Panchal, Yasin Subair, Real, Realm of Curiosity, Raja Kumar, Nitin Singh, Melvin, Ashish, Jai Dikshit, Martian, Codename 175, Aryan Peekaboo, Makarand Mokashi, Aman Kumar Kostub, Animish Malik Sayyad, Raja Sikharan Vichattu, Feminist Slayer, VRV, Jasmanraj Singh, Shorya Sharma, Chirag, Nuro, Satej, Crazy Brain, Captain Anonymous, Sumedha, Dighe, Kuldeep, Potato, Prazer, <laughs> Prachit, Agarwal, Atish, Digpal, Prasun Singh, Chirag, Utkarsh, Abhishek, Shri, Jingis Khan, Shubham Munde, Ishan, Shashank, Chirag, Akshat, Chiching, Shamik, Unhuman, Pankaj Kumar, Tyagi, TDC, Adarsh Tapalyal, Deepak, Le Editor, Aman George, Karthik Jain, The Bong Star, Amit, Vedant, and so and so many people, so many people, I will not be able to greet you all individually, but I, I greet you all collectively. Thank you so much for being on the live chat, on the live stream. So with that done, let us get into some questions. If you have questions, I can see Tejas, Manu Gauda. Shivam and many more. Okay, let's let's get into the questions now. Uh, so, if you have questions, I'm sure you all have questions. That's why you're here. So let's let's get get going with it. Let's have your best questions and let us field them. So, okay, let's take this one. Sumit says we have seen that Biden, President Biden, is brainless in terms of his policies, and probably so the so-called deep state is in full control. Is this not similar to Pakistan in a way? Yes, I have remarked upon this. See, the the president of the U.S., Mr. Biden, is uh, well as as everyone can see. I mean, it's it there's, there's there was a fable or something. Right? The emperor has no clothes. It's like that. I mean, everybody can see, even a three-year-old can see that this guy is not in full control of his mental capacity. He's, he's just too old. He's past a certain stage, right? So clearly, he's not in a position to to administer himself let alone let alone administering an entire nation and uh, kamala harris is uh, clearly not competent at all uh, so and and still somebody is running the nation right so most likely it's what they call the establishment and what's colloquially called the deep state that's what it is that's what's running the nation the nation is not running itself so yeah and uh, as we recently saw, the, the Biden administration, whoever that is, uh, wanted to uh, present a dossier of Russian alleged war crimes to the International Criminal Court. And so the White House wanted to do this, and the Pentagon blocked the White House from doing it. So that demonstrates visibly that the Pentagon has more power, way more power than the White House. The Pentagon can block the elected government of the U.S. from doing something. Yeah? I mean, 
technically or or you know supposedly the us president is supposed to be the boss of everyone how can someone block the us president the uh, supposedly the most powerful person in the world man in the world it's always been a man so clearly the pentagon which is the defense establishment which is also colloquially called the deep state is more powerful way more powerful than the white house than the elected democratically elected government which tells you that the us is a democracy kind of in name only and there is a deeper and stronger power at play so the relationship between the pentagon and the white house is very similar to the relationship between rawalpindi and islamabad rawalpindi is the army headquarters that's where the army is based uh, islamabad is where the government allegedly resides but we all know that it's the army that's in power which means that rawalpindi is more powerful than islamabad and similarly we seem to have a very similar situation in the us that the pentagon is way more powerful than the white house so the us is like a super pakistan that's what it is but it's much much better run and it's it's a, yeah so we we know what the, we know the differences so yeah interesting question that you ask and you i i totally agree with what you say sir um robin brar says what are your thoughts on the report from the iaf that the that russia will not meet the delivery of all s400 systems does that mean that india will reorient towards the west uh india is multi oriented multi aligned india is not non aligned and india is not an ally of, of russia but yes obviously india and russia have a significant amount of shared interests and convergence in geopolitical interests and approaches which is why india and russia get along so well because it just makes sense uh the logic of strategy says that it makes sense for india and russia to work together and you know you can say they are aligned in a lot of things now one does hear the report that uh uh that russia i'm not sure it's from the iaf or from where it is but russia the delivery of the s s400 uh, systems some of them is most likely going to be delayed there is this enormous war effort going on in russia there's manpower needed for the war effort and resources are needed for that so that's going to impact the delivery of s400 systems to india it's it doesn't mean that russia will cancel the deliveries we've already paid for that it means the deliveries will most likely be delayed by a certain amount of time that's what it means and you know just because your supplier isn't able to supply what you need in a certain time frame doesn't mean that you abandon the i mean you you totally reorient your strategy just because something like that happened no our interests are long term interests you don't realign them because you get emotional when someone can't meet a certain requirement we know why it's why why the situation exists we understand why it, that this could happen and why this is happening so it's fine uh we definitely will exhort and urge russia to deliver the system so we understand there's a delay but deliver it as soon as possible let us know how long how much longer it will take and that sort of thing but it's it doesn't mean that we're going to abandon russia and stop like you know uh ask them to cancel the deliveries and then go for the us version which is an inferior version and all that no it, that's not how it works your our interests are long term interests and we don't just uh, you know turn around and spin around on the drop of a hat when something happens that that's not how it works right <clears throat> okay okay naman says please explain the partition of germany after the second world war east germany and west germany okay so that gives me the opportunity to bring out the map because we love the map so where is deutschland germany 
I'm sure we all know where it is, but let's orient ourselves. This is India. We go westwards. We cross the Indian subcontinent, Pakistan, Afghanistan. We cross our Persian neighbors. We come into the Kavkaz region. You go westwards. There is Ukraine. And here now, east, uh, west of Ukraine, you have Poland. And west of Poland, you have Germany. So this is Germany. And Germany was partitioned into East Germany and West Germany after the end of the Second World War. So that's the thing. That's the question that's what the question is about so what happened exactly how did germany get partitioned so what happened is this germany as we know were the bad guys in during the second world war adolf hitler one of the greatest evil guys that's what the west portrays him, him as and clearly he did a lot of evil deeds he killed uh, i don't know how many million uh, jews and romani people at least four million one years so yeah and, and Germany, well, it was the aggressor. It tried to fight everybody at the same time. So at the end, Germany lost. Now, it did not lose that easily. It was very hard to beat. It had at some at one point in time taken over significant all, almost all of Europe. It had rolled over, steamrolled France in its blitzkrieg. And it had launched an invasion of, of, of the USSR. And uh, because of a tactical or strategic uh, no, strategic mistake. That's why they eventually lost. Uh, and and Oper Operation Barbarossa eventually became a disaster because of a strategic mistake. They they went for the south instead of going straight for, for Moscow. So uh, eventually the tide turned. The Americans entered the fray from the west, from the from, from England, from the UK. They crossed over the, the Normandy landings, which are like the D-Day, you know, very famous. There are movies made about that. And then they inched west to eastwards from France. But the majority of the fighting in Europe was done by the Russians. And the majority of the dying was done by the Russians. The Russians were able to beat Germany only at the expense, at the cost of, of oceans of blood. They, they threw incredible amounts of, you know, human lives into the meat grinder. And that's how they were able to beat the Nazis. So most of the fighting was done by the Russians. But the credit, you know, the Americans take it because of Hollywood and propaganda and all that. Uh, the Russians clearly are not that good at propaganda. So uh, they liberated much of Europe. And what happened is that uh, the eastern part of Germany was, uh, you could say, liberated or conquered, whatever, by the USSR. And the western part kind of was taken over by the Allies, which is the US and its minions. Now, once uh, Hitler was defeated, there was the matter of the Asia-Pacific theater, which is Japan, with the, which was dealt with differently, uh, separately. The Americans tested two nuclear weapons on Japanese civilians. We know that. But uh, so what happened is that once Hitler was defeated, Germany have a certain portion of Germany was in the possession of the USSR and a certain portion of Germany was in the possession of the US and its uh, allies. Let's call them allies. And that became kind of the partition. So as soon as the Second World War ends, despite the US and the USSR being allied in the Second World War to defeat Hitler, the Americans immediately declared that now we, have, we are in a Cold War and the USSR are the bad guys because communism is evil. And then we had the beginning of the Cold War immediately, you could say, more or less immediately after the end of the Second World War. So that dividing line in Germany became the partition line. And soon you had the Iron Curtain coming up and, you know, what the entire sequence of events. 
So that is how Germany got partitioned. One part of it remained with the USSR and that ideology was applied there. Uh, socialism, communism, all that was applied there. And the other part became the opposite of that. And uh, it took up the US, US uh, style of functioning and all that. So that's how the partition happened. And as we know, it, it uh, Germany remained uh, divided until the early 1990s, until the Berlin Wall was eventually brought down, which was actually the collapse of the USSR itself. So that is the story, my friends. That is the story. Now, let's see who all who else has questions. Let us see. Let us see. Okay, let's take this one. I can see a lot of geopolitical questions. Uh, Piyush Melody Boy says... Is, does Russia really love India or is it just posing because they need allies and a big market to sell things to in this Ukraine war? So, listen, if we look at, see, we have to examine history from a certain perspective. So when we take photographs, in case some of you are into photography, you will know that you for a certain camera, you have a whole variety of lenses you can buy. And each lens ser serves a certain purpose. You take a subject, you put it in front of you, you take a certain lens with a certain focal length, you will see a certain perspective of the image. You take a different lens, you will see a different perspective. Some lenses make it very flat, some lenses give you a blurred background and so on. I will not go into that, but that's how it works. Similarly, when you look at history and geopolitics, the what you understand of it depends on the lens that you're using to take a look at it, to look at it. So if you take if you use a very short lens, let's say, uh, you know, very short-term memory kind of lens, then you will get a certain picture of things. If you take a longer-term perspective, a longer lens, then you will see a different perspective. So the question is, does Russia really love India? So if I take a short lens and take a look at what happened in the past 5 or 10 years, I will get a certain perspective. See, uh, and it's a good perspective. It's, it's very instructive. So... In 2017, I think, or 20, whichever year it was, five, six years ago, seven years ago, perhaps, uh, the Russians were conducting military exercises with Pakistan. It was called the Druzhba exercises. Druzhba means friendship in, in Russian. So there was Druzhba 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, if I am not mistaken, but there has been no Druzhba 2023. And I, I think there's been no Druzhba 2022 either, most likely, if I'm not mistaken. You know, so so how come Russia was kind of uh, being friendly with Pakistan, and and why is it not happening now? Why has the why have those exercises, you know, those those military exercises stopped and all that? So the question is a very good question. And we have to look at it from a long-term perspective because that's when we start seeing the patterns. So Russia in geopolitics, there is no love. There is no love in geopolitics. All right. And there is no friendship in geopolitics. Geopolitics is all about self-interest. It's all about your narrow national interest. And when you have two nations whose national interests align and converge, it is natural for them to work together. And when you have two nations whose national interests clash, then they simply can't work together. So how do you know whether, whether two nations will have an alignment of national interests or a clash of national, in, national interests? One of the best ways of understanding that is just to take a look at the map. So let me show you the map, which will give us an idea of what is the situation. 
So let's take a look at the map. Here's the map. So as we can see, India and China have a significant long shared border because we allowed China to, to conquer Tibet and occupy Tibet in 1950. Our great prime minister, the great magnificent Mr. Nehru did that. So India and China have a long undemarcated border, which makes India and China, it makes it impossible for India and China to be allies. When two large nations have a shared border, common border, it means that they can never be allies and they will always have some kind of tension and some kind of hostility. Similarly, the Russians and the Chinese have a long border, which tells you that the Russians and the Chinese are also not natural allies, they are natural adversaries. Now, India and Russia don't have a shared border. India and Russia both want a stable and secure Central Asia. India and Russia both see China as an adversary for very good reason. I mean, I will, I'll not go into the history of the Russia-China thing, but yeah, it's there. So from these perspectives, if you look at all of this from the big picture perspective, from the long lens of the past hundred years, then you will say that Russia and India are actually natural allies. We will not use the term ally. Okay, but it's kind of like that. It's kind of like, a, you know, a de facto unwritten alliance kind of thing in, in certain ways. We, we try to keep it under wraps, you could say. So it, there's no love here. Love happens when there is shared blood or shared culture. Okay, that's when love exists. So when it comes to the nations of the Indian subcontinent, yeah, we could actually say that there is love in some sense. I would not say that there is love between India and Pakistan, but clearly one could have an affectionate uh, perspective from India's perspective towards Nepal or Sri Lanka or Bhutan or, or Myanmar. And well, if the other nations behave, we will be affectionate towards them as well. So love only exists when you have shared blood or shared culture. When it comes to Russia, we don't have shared blood and we don't have shared culture either. But we have a strong convergence of national interests. So Russia does feel the pressure right now because of the Ukraine war. Obviously, it feels the pressure and it does need allies. It does need a huge market for selling oil because that is what relieves the pressure from Russia. So yes, it does need that. For that, From that perspective, India is something they really need. So yeah, it's a great thing for them. But it's not like they are playing a short-term game. It's a long-term game. And India and Russia are going to be aligned for the long term, for this entire century, one could imagine, if not more. So that's the deal. There's no love. There's no love in geopolitics. There are alliances, and alliances typically are temporary, and even enmities are temporary. But in some cases, these alliances can be long term, and enmities can be long term when you have this this border thing. Okay, I think that was a reasonably long explanation. Let's take some other questions. All right. Mm. Okay, Atharvaraj says, what's the geographical expanse of Aryavarta? Is it just northern India, the whole of the Indian subcontinent? Look, it's the whole of the Indian subcontinent. Uh, that's what it is. Uh, even, uh, I, this is the problem, right? They have divided India, India into North India and South India and Aryan and Dravidian. So we all see everything from that, these perspectives only. North India versus South India. The whole of the Indian subcontinent was called Jambu, Dvipa and Aryavarta. That's what it was. And the Indian subcontinent included present-day Pakistan, the temporary nation, and also Gandhara, which is present-day Afghanistan. Even when Sri Chinggis Khan uh, came into India pursuing Jalaluddin Mangubardi, the border between India and Central Asia was somewhere was somewhere in Tajikistan. Okay, there is a there is there was some some what 
hot gates or something it was called i don't remember right now but yes so so that's the that's the geographical expanse of the indian subcontinent it was the entirety of jambu dweep or aryavarta the whole subcontinent not just north india so i i understand where this question comes from and yeah it's it's see the fact that lots of people have these questions is a good thing they are they are wondering what they've been taught is right or not and what we have been taught is a lot of lies a whole bunch of lies so what we need all of us my friends is to learn the art of and the science of critical thinking we have been taught what to think instead of being taught how to think when you come across a textbook how do you know whether it contains facts or opinions or a mix of both and how do you know that so and so paragraph is a fact and so and so paragraph is an opinion that is where critical thinking comes in so that is something we all need to learn and you know i i mean i could go deep into it 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 will take me a, at least at least an hour to explain that but yeah so we all need to figure out in our own way how to think so i actually i believe i know how to think but uh, i i really would like to urge and encourage and exhort all of you please try and analyze your thought process and try to figure out how it can be improved like i say keep raising your standards am i a dhoni fan there's a match going on now right mumbai indians and chatur and chennai super kings yes and dhoni is csk yeah of course i'm a dhoni fan of course i mean he's one of the greatest uh, cricketers we've had one of the greatest captains we've had great guy i mean i mean uh, what's not to admire so yes of course i'm a dhoni fan um uh, let's see what else what else do we have um <laughs> abcd what your thoughts your views on ashoka university should i join it i um i regret that i don't really know much about this uh, institution i so yeah i i won't be able to answer because i don't have much knowledge about it but yeah you should do your due diligence and if it is good according to your viewpoint you should certainly join it which team do i support in the ipl i haven't watched a single ipl match this year uh you know whoever plays well i will i'll support them uh i've never had a favorite as such um i remember i watched the first ipl i think it was in 2007 or 2008 and the next year they had to played in south africa because the elections were there uh which year was this 20 2014 was 2000 yeah 2008 i think was the first ipl yeah anyhow so um I don't have any specific favorite team I haven't watched a single match this year thus far. Um so yeah thus far nothing but if if some team plays well and catches my attention and grabs me by you know by the throat you yeah, then then I'll certainly support that. All right let's see what else do we have lots of questions of course. Um uh India helped Turkey by launching operation dost <clears throat> but still Turkey is very much anti India then why did India help Turkey pre sir don't call me naive i was uh, no absolutely not i will not call you naive it's a very good question we have to ask these questions so that we understand the world better all right so uh yes india turkey was 
struck by two horrific earthquakes very powerful earthquakes it caused a huge amount of devastation in the nation lots of uh, people died sadly very unfortunate and india was one of the first responders without being asked we went ahead and uh, launched this operation operation dost we sent uh, teams of medical personnel to turkey lots and lots of equipment and supplies to turkey um we set up field hospitals over there we uh, we sent search and rescue teams with with uh, uh, trained personnel and and teams with dogs as well so we did a, a whole lot i think we were one of the major responders and helpers for turkey but turkey is still very much anti india yes a big surprise so why did india help turkey so you, you know there are reasons why we do things listen if there is a crocodile Uh, listen i'll not use the word snake here <laughs> i'm just giving an example okay let's let's not take it personally anybody if there is anybody from turkey here listen i have absolutely nothing against turkey i think turkey people are actually very interesting people very fun people all right nothing against turkey at all but overall india and turkey are not aligned turkey's geopolitical al- alignment is with uh, essentially india's enemy pakistan so let's it's not a personal thing people to people i'm sure we are all friends but nation to nation we are adversaries so we have to understand that if you go ahead and help a crocodile it doesn't mean that if the crocodile gets an opportunity it will it will not try to eat you right so then the question is why did india do this so india is building a track record as a responsible nation and a responsible member of the international community a nation that sets certain standards and behaves in a certain manner and even helps enemies when it's re- required so once you, and you have to do this consistently you do this 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 strategy this doctrine whatever you want to call it only started sometime around 2014 before that india was not a global geopolitical player at all it was not even a local power india was not respected anywhere in the world now india is building a track record of a certain kind of behavior internationally so in the future when india rises india is rising by the way once we are a, let's say a 10 trillion dollar economy we're going to have a certain amount of economic and military muscle and we want to use it in a way that is non abrasive and we want to get our things done but we also want to tell the world that we are a responsible nation and we, you you need not fear us eventually we will it will reach a stage once a nation be, reaches a certain size economically and militarily people start wondering should we fear them that's what happens so and if everyone fears you then then what happens is what happens what's happening with china china is kind of isolated yeah sure they are able to they still have a lot of influence they still have not a lot of money to throw around which buys them influence and that's why they are able to do things but overall everybody fears china everybody fears china everyone in asia around china let's take a look at the map once again everybody look at china's neighbors everyone fears them no one trusts them but of course they will be enticed by the money that china is able to spend so when india is rising we have to ensure that we build a track record that you know will ensure that people the other nations don't fear us and it also helps us to counter us propaganda the americans and the west overall they have been trying to portray india in a certain manner 
authoritarian nation some some stupid journalists use the word fascist undemocratic all that so when india does these things it kind of you know it it it, uh, it hurts these fake narratives and it it kind of uh, destroys these fake narratives so there are multiple reasons why india is doing this overall it's it's for image building image building is called soft power right so it doesn't cost a whole lot of money from india's perspective to go and help turkey right if you if you take a reasonably large city in india and the amount of money it takes to run that city for one day i'm sure we did not have to spend even that much for the operation those in turkey yeah a few few aircraft heavy aircraft is sent there a few personnel i don't know and uh, our people were there for, i don't know how long a few weeks or something so overall i don't think it cost a lot of money but it it uh, creates a certain image of india in front of the world and among the turkish people who were helped by us it it definitely builds goodwill i mean they'll remember us they'll remember what we did for them in their time of need, desperate need so these are the reasons why we do it we don't expect anything in return but we are building a certain narrative and certain a certain image of ourselves and a track record for ourselves that is what's happening so even when you had the pandemic the coronavirus pandemic we sent vaccines all across the world especially to poor nations and nations that could not afford the expensive american vaccines that that don't really work there are terrible vaccines our vaccine probably is the best vaccine out there so we sent these vaccines we did not sell them we sent them for free the americans will sell you stuff and then they will call it aid you know that's the hypocrisy they will sell you stuff for extremely for a lot of money and then they will say we are aiding you they they call their military sales to taiwan aid you know so india did not do that we sent it for free so once again we are building a track record as a responsible nation as a good nation as a benevolent nation it's going to help us in the long run that's why we do it martian says what do you think about nostradamus's prediction of world war 3 i had a book of nostrad by by Nost- i mean which was about nostradamus i found it very interesting i mean it seemed to predict the 911 attacks in the us a city at 45 degrees fire comes from the sky very interesting uh it did also predict napoleon and hister napoleon seems like sounds like napoleon yes and hister sounds like hitler so it it's it's curious you know i mean some of it was very striking and very interesting to me so i don't know what if if there is any mention of world war 3 in that or not uh, there are these quatrains in that he writes in which he writes uh, you know these verses in old french uh so yeah i haven't i don't rem- it was too long i mean it's been so long it's been like 20 years since i you know held that book in my hands so i don't remember what the predictions were like about world war 3 if, if at all it, it look i think it sounded like it was there was a prediction that india will rise in the 21st century and become a you know a great power or, or something a superpower perhaps mm-hmm. so i don't quite remember but i i i found it very interesting that this guy who lived before napoleon and hister uh, hitler, <laughs> hitler was able to write about that is it a complete coincidence or is there something more to it i still don't know but i think it's very interesting okay um all right let's see uh, they just says why do afghanistanis claim that the vedas originated there 
do they <laughs> i'm sure people make all kinds of claims i, I suppose some of the afghans would claim that the vedas originated there i think everybody wants to own the birthplace or the of the of the vedas right i remember there was this uh, general retired general on twitter a few years ago who said that uh, the vedas were written in punjab because the saraswati used to flow through punjab well the saraswati flowed through the entire subcontinent uh, the western part of the subcontinent so um, so we don't we don't quite know where the vedas were written they were written within the sacred land of bharatvarsh aryavarta jambudvip we know that and most likely it, it the saraswati is called the the goddess of wisdom and knowledge so most likely the vedas were written somewhere along the bank banks of the saraswati the great saraswati river which no longer is with us she has left us because we are so stupid <laughs> yeah um, and clearly the saraswati did not flow through afghanistan uh the saraswati flowed from the himalayas all the way into the uh, sea of saurashtra the so called arabian sea and if you look at the undersea map topological map of the indian ocean you can actually see ancient drainage channels of rivers that no longer exist including the saraswati so uh, let's put the map on the screen not like this but like this yes so the saraswati it it uh, drained somewhere maybe along the mouth of mouth of gujarat you know gujarat looks like a face so somewhere here somewhere here is where the saraswati used to drain out into the into the indian ocean and she eventually started drying out that's why we had the run of kutch that was created and the thar desert as well and now she is simply a seasonal intermittent river called the ghaggar hakra so the vedas were most likely written on the banks of the saraswati so clearly that that was not afghanistan afghanistan was northern part of india gandhar but obviously some, everyone wants to own the vedas everybody wants to claim you know some kind of connection or ownership and in afghanistan obviously we know that their their culture and everything has changed they are no longer uh, they no longer uh, practice indian culture and indian religions and yet there is some some connection obviously because they they're still after all genetically ethnically our kin right the pashtuns i'm not talking about the the, the other uh, ethnicities the tajiks sure the pashtuns mostly sure but not the 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 whoever else the other ethnic mixes out there so uh so if they are in the if some of them claim it it's it's because they may feel a certain connection perhaps to india whether they acknowledge it or not but well they also can claim to be a part of our heritage because i'm sure their ancestors also at some point in time we know that they were all part of indian culture not anymore unfortunately okay this question has to be there pok isn't it the right time to take back i i get this question like 27 times at least per day in in the comments uh no this is not the right time to take back pok maybe in 6 months maybe <laughs> maybe in 2 years maybe before 2024 or maybe in a decade but soon enough see as we know pakistan is a temporary nation we have to have a bit of patience we wa- we will win we will regain pok eventually in the long run the entirety of of an undivided india will be unified again eventually not now not not next week not next month eventually in the next 50 years 100 years because right now it's it's not appropriate or it's it's not good for us to to reincorporate those regions into india because of a variety of reasons uh 
so it's not the right time to take back pok when is the right time to take back pok the right time to win is when victory is inevitable the best way of winning is to is to win without firing a single shot so we have to engineer a situation in which pok automatically on its own comes back to us without us firing a single bullet a single shot or losing a single life that's how it has to be so that is the ideal way in which we want to take back pok it should just fall into our our, our arms that's how it should be so this is not the right time for, to take back pok the time will come patience right um what else what else what else what else what else what else do we have ah uh, this question <laughs> surajay ja says i want to know are baloches pure iranian race or are they mixed indian iranian there is mehargarh and there was indo parthian kingdom called pratarajas in balochistan the pratarajas were were pure pure indian proper indian if you see their coins and all they had swastikas and and trishuls and all that and their name also was pratarajas so it's it's clearly indian now ethnicity wise the iranians aren't that different from us yes the genetics are kind of weird i mean there's very little r1a over there the 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 patrilineal haplogroup i think it's more of r1b or more of r2 or something so it's it's clearly very very close to india but if you look at the pro, the detailed genetic profile of iranian people you will see a lot of affinity with with the turks with azerbaijan and uh, the what other places do we see azerbaijan and and iraq turkey etc so what happened unfortunately in the about 1300 or so 1400 years ago is iran was overrun by the arabs and they lost their sovereignty uh and uh, eventually you know all these uh, invaders came and settled down and that's why there was this ethnic mixing so iranians many iranians are not that close genetically and ethnically to indians anymore the pure iranians are essentially the same as indians but i don't know how many of them actually still exist if there is such a thing as a pure ethnicity or whatever so if you if you take the typical stereotypical proper iranian it's a person with light brown skin brown eyes and dark hair that's how it is but you will see some iranians who have got uh, you know blonde hair and and blue eyes and almost white skin or whatever so those are not the real <laughs> iranians actually so when it comes to the balochi people they are pure indian okay they are pure indian and if you mix indians and iranians you get indians only so that's what the balochis are uh, their language sounds indian more than persian way more indian than persian their culture is more like the culture of of saurashtra the the way of the way they the kind of clothes they wear and all that and saurashtra anyways almost next door to balochistan if you see if you see the map so balochi people are ethnically indian culturally i am not sure where they are right now they're kind of somewhere in, in between but ethnically indian historically indian their heritage is indian uh, but yeah their history is tragic history in the past uh, since 1948 is tragic and even before that the past few hundred years before that it was still tragic that's not fall okay all right 
Om Bekerikar says, is Europe really a separate continent? Well, let's find out. Where is the map? What does the map tell us? So let's take a look at the continents. Australia is a continent. Australia. Australia. Uh, Antarctica is a continent. See, as you can see, there's ocean all around it. It's totally isolated. So is Antarctica. Africa is also connected to Asia by this small sliver of land, which has now been sliced open by, by the Suez Canal, Al-Suez. And you have the Strait of Gibraltar, which, which separates Africa from Europe. So Africa is a separate continent. Now you have the Americas, which are connected by this very thin sliver of land through Panama. But you clearly have two distinct continents, North and South America. Now let's take a look at Europe and Asia. Do you see any division anywhere? There is no division. It's a single landmass. It's an enormous landmass, smaller than Africa. For sure. I'm not sure if it's smaller than Africa. Uh, so it's it's a single landmass. So it's a single continent. You could call it Eurasia or whatever. So why is this? Why is Europe considered to be a different continent, and why is Asia considered to be separate? Europe actually is a tiny little part of Eurasia. So the division is totally imaginary and artificial. The Europeans, once they became world conquerors in the past 500 years, started imagining that they, are, they were somehow superior to the rest of the rest of humanity. So they said that our, our the place where we live is a separate continent on it, of its own, just because we are better than all of you, right? So the so the separation between Europe and Asia is entirely imaginary and fictional. You know, in cities, in urban places in India, we have these gangs of dogs who live everywhere. See, the Indian dog has been part of our life, part of our history and culture for thousands of years. I'm sure we are the ones who first domesticated the dog from the wolf. So dogs, they live in these uh, packs, families or, or gangs or whatever you want to call them. And they have these imaginary boundaries. You know, each, each uh, pack of dogs has its own territory. And you will have territories that are adjoining each other. There are imaginary boundaries. And if a dog from a neighboring territory crosses over to your territory, this imaginary line, then all the dogs from this side will start barking at him. Get out. Go back. So These boundaries are entirely imaginary. Similarly, the boundary between Europe and Asia is just like those boundaries that dogs have. Completely fictional, completely imaginary. Right. Let us see. Surinder Singh Rajput says, uh, is pole shift real? So, we have our planet has poles. Let's let's go to the map. So here is our planet. The North Pole is up here in the Arctic Ocean. And the South Pole is within the continent of Antarctica. And the Earth spins. As we can see, meow. It spins like a cricket ball when you are spinning it here. So the axis of the spin is uh, the two ends of that are the North Pole and the South Pole. So those are the axes. So that's the rotational axis of the Earth. And that's the North Pole and the South Pole. But we also have magnetic poles. So the Earth has a magnetic field because inside the Earth, there is this hot... Uh, below the crust and the mantle of the Earth, you have a magma layer, which is molten rock. And be beneath that, if you go further deep inside, you have molten metal. And at the, at the center, there's a solid metal core, which is not molten, molten, it's solid. So because you have extremely hot 
molten metal inside the planet which is swirling around that activity it is ionized i'm sure at some points some some of it is ionized they will have will have electrical charges and it's flowing so these moving electrical charges they create a magnetic field so the earth has a magnetic field it has two magnetic poles a north pole and a south pole now the the north pole and the south pole this magnetic the magnetic poles are created by the movement of the inner liquid ocean of metal inside the earth now this movement keeps changing from time to time so every few thousand or hundred thousand years the poles they shift they, they flip so the north pole so the north pole becomes the south pole kind of you know and the south pole becomes the north pole so this is a real phenomenon and we can see the traces of this in the geological record yeah so pole shift is real and it will have certain consequences it could be detrimental consequences as well it is something that is real it will eventually happen the north magnetic pole will suddenly become the south magnetic pole and it seems that some some reports that we hear say that it the process may be already under motion perhaps let's see so it is indeed real it's it's a physical phenomenon for sure all right <clears throat> Who could be the next foreign minister? Well, we have a wonderful foreign minister, one of the most competent foreign ministers we've ever had, Dr. Jashankar. Why do we want to think of the next foreign minister? I would like to see Dr. Jashankar be the foreign minister for another five years at least, after 2024. So, yeah. And so, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I would like to see Dr. Jashankar continue for the foreseeable future. Because he's not an old man. I mean, he's reasonably young. And I, I don't, I mean, I see him easily doing the job for another 10 years if he wants to. Okay. Uh, Ubendran says, what if we tell China that if they keep causing border issues, we will stop following the one China policy? How will China react to it? Listen, <laughs> uh, try and understand it like this. Let's say you have a tiger and a cat. Okay. A very crude example. The tiger says, I have a certain territory and I will grab other people's territories and then I will say that you have to follow the one tiger policy. My territory is, is a single policy, a single territory and everybody has to follow the policy. And the cat says, I will not follow it anymore from tomorrow. What's going to happen? Who is more powerful? We have to see it that way. That's how it works in geopolitics. Size matters. Power matters. It's not about being polite and being nice. That's not how geopolitics works. Geopolitics is pure power plays. The larger your economy, the larger your military, the more powerful you are and the more you can get done. So you can insist that other nations follow the one China policy if you're powerful enough and the others have to do it. So it's not about words, strong words, kadi ninda. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Words don't work. You should be in a position to walk the talk. So right now, India need not do all that. Right now, India should hide its capabilities and bide its time and work really hard. And when the time is right, we will, instead of telling them that we'll do this or we'll do that, we'll actually do it. That's how it is. Chaitanya says, what's your opinion on Pali-Persian similarities? Listen, Pali is a language that came out of Sanskrit. It's an Apabharancha language. And... Persian is another language that came out of, out of Sanskrit. It's also an upper branch language. Yeah. Uh, old Persian. Old Persian was uh, 
very similar to sanskrit the the portion that was spoken during the time of the hakshamanish dynasty the akhamenid dynasty during the time of kurush uh, kurush vajrak which is cyrus the great and darayavaus darayas so at that time if you see the old portion that they wrote using the cuneiform script it sounded like you know a kind of kind of mispronounced sanskrit uh, so today's this the persian language is a descendant of that language so clearly there will be similarities between the persian language and various indian languages uh, persian people iranian people who come to india let's say for studies and they stay in india for a couple of years they pick up hindi extremely easily and they can speak hindi like a native and i'm sure that if indians were to go to persia we can we could pick up the language very easily because there are there are there are very close similarities lots of similarities so it's not a surprise whatsoever okay let's see some more recent questions um general says do you think bharat should procure state of the art fifth generation fighter aircraft or wait for amca if yes which aircraft should be the best pick for iaf the f35 the f32 raptor or the su57 i think the best way forward is to be completely atmanirbhar completely indigenous manufacturing it's not an easy process i understand i agree it's not easy but it's worthwhile because you're going to build up you're going to build the capability to do so many things if you can master the art of designing and building and testing and perfecting one aircraft it you can that the same capabilities can be applied to a whole lot of different kinds of aircraft so india has to be atmanirbhar it's going to take time it's going to take the amc will take i don't know until what time 2029 2032 somewhere around that time maybe another 8 years let's say another 10 years let's say it's fine it's worth it so in the meanwhile maybe we can buy some aircraft as a stopgap measure measure uh if you buy american aircraft you have to give up a lot of your sovereignty you have to ensure there is a lot of interoperability you have to sign certain agreements and open up your spectrum and it's it's not something you want to do you don't want the americans to start, to start snooping on your networks and all those things the americans don't even spare their own own allies the the australians for instance when they sold the australians the fa18 super hornets those hornets those aircraft were completely useless because the americans had kind of disabled them um you know the iff system and all that if friend or foe and the target acquisition system all that so we don't want to buy american fighter planes the f35 and they will not sell you the f32 either f35 i'm sure they will be willing to sell it for the right price maybe 150 million dollars per piece or whatever so yeah i think if we have to buy something in the in the short term as an interim measure we could go with the rafal and if the russians can you know give us a good deal like tot transfer of technology then we could look into the su57 most likely it's going to be the rafal not the f16 f18 or whatever the f22 f35 most likely the rafal um so yeah that's that's what i think should happen we should be atmanirbhar we should invest in our own manufacturing capabilities and prowess and we have extremely talented people so it's certainly very feasible we should wait for the amca and we should uh, once the amca is out we should start building other kinds of aircraft so that's what we need to do my friends okay yeah this question i mean we don't have evidence right 
uh, Chirag says, is it true that King Vikramaditya had the largest empire which was ever probably uh, bigger than the Mauryan Empire? Are there any evidences of it? So our archaeologists have found no evidence because they've not searched for it and they claim that the King Vikramaditya, Emperor Vikramaditya was a complete myth. Evidence may be lying around, but if you don't look for it, then you will never find it. And if you find it, you can claim it's something or the other. So we don't know. So for me, I I rely on evidence, hard evidence. And I am not going out there in the field looking for evidence, right? So I have to rely on what the archaeologists are telling us. And clearly, I'm sure you all know that uh, we all understand that our archaeologists are not entirely properly motivated and they're not... Some of them are good. Clearly, some of them are good. But most of them, uh, I don't even know what they're doing. You know? So um, in the absence of evidence, I would say, I don't know. We don't have evidence of how large the empire was. We don't even know for sure when he lived. Most likely at the beginning of the Vikram Samvat era, for sure. But uh, we don't have the evidence because our archaeologists have either hidden the evidence or they have not tried to find it at all. So in the absence of evidence, I cannot offer you a proper answer because I don't have one. I can offer you some wild speculation in the imagination, but what's the point of that? Right? It's not, not going to help you or me. So my answer is, I don't know because there is no evidence. In the future, there could be evidence and one would hope to find it as soon as possible. Saurabh asks, what's the source of modern numerals, Indian or Arabic? The Arabs learned the numerals from India. The decimal system, the numerals, all of it came from India. I think it's it's a no-brainer. It's a, the the source is India, not Arabia. Uh, okay. Uh, what other question did I? Have? Here we are. Spartan Bhagwa says, "How much did the Turkic genocide of India and selling of Indians into slavery outside of India affect India's genetic diversity?" So. Um, the Turkic genocide of India, it kind of, it was a significant genocide. I mean, it's the worst genocide ever perpetrated anywhere in the world. So India's population over about 500 years or so, roughly, fell by 80 million. So you had people being born at the regular rate. So the population should have stayed the same or it should, it should have grown. But it declined by 80 million over a number of centuries. So if you do the math properly and think it out properly, it means that hundreds of millions of Indians were killed. That's what it means. So maybe minimum figure is 100 million, maximum figure is maybe 500 million over five centuries or so, which means a million a year, which is something they were doing routinely, routinely, right? So it did affect India's genetic pool, diversity, whatever you want to call it. Selling of Indians into slavery outside of India was something that was happening on a very large scale. It was typically women and children. And obviously men who had uh, certain skills, artisans, uh, stonemasons, architects, musicians, all that. So it did not affect India's genetic diversity within the Indian subcontinent. But it spread Indian genetics outside India. You go to Yemen or you look at images of Yemeni people, they look just like Indians. But they speak Arabic. Their culture is completely Arabic, but they look, many of them look exactly like Indians. There are lots of people in Saudi Arabia who look strikingly Indian. There are people in Iraq who look Indian. Some people have been even claiming that Saddam Hussein was a Rajput, right? Saddam Hussein. 
that he was a Rajput. I mean, if you look at Saddam Hussein, he does kind of look somewhat Indian, little bit. Same kind of skin color, similar facial features and all that. Um, so clearly, Indian genetics spread across the uh, the Turkic and Arabic world. Right? So it kind of spread India's genetics in a very tragic and unfortunate manner in the Turkic and Arabic world, for sure. So that's what happened. Serge Ant says, are Romani people and the country of Romania related? Well, it, it's, it sounds like there should be a relation, but it's not quite the case. If you look at the nation of Romania and if you look at the population demographics and all that, I would say about roughly 10% of the population of Romania is of Romani origin, Gypsy, Indian origin. Yeah, um, And yet the nation of Romania, the name doesn't come from the Romani people. So it's it's entirely a, it's entirely a coincidence. The Romani people are related to India, and they did not uh, they were not the founders of Romania, and the name Romania doesn't come from there. So the relation is is entirely the the similarity of the name is entirely coincidental. There's not a genuine connection there. Itachi says, is there any benefit of learning Japanese as an Indian? Which foreign language should one learn according to you? Uh, that's um, well. If you want to interact with Japanese people, and if you want to maybe go and visit Japan, maybe stay in Japan for a while. If you are doing business with Japanese people, or if you are interacting with them on a regular basis, it makes a lot of sense to learn Japanese. It's always fun to learn new languages. So uh, that would be the benefit in case you need to have interactions with Japanese people. That would be advantageous for you. Uh, the other question is, what, which foreign language should one learn according to you? Well, it, look, who am I to tell you what language to learn? Uh, I can tell you what Indian language to learn. I will insist that everybody should learn Sanskrit. So that's what I can tell you about Indian languages. When it comes to foreign languages, it's entirely up to you. It's your choice. Whatever you find interesting. Some people find uh, Japanese interesting. Some people want to learn French. Some want to learn Italian. We all speak English. Why not Swahili? Swahili is from Kenya and South Africa, Southern Africa. Or uh, what about Russian? Or what about um, what else? People want to learn Mandarin these days. Mandarin, which is which is Chinese. I think one should try and learn Mongolian if somebody has the interest. I don't know. See, it's entirely up to you. It's your choice personally. It's entirely your personal choice. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you. When you learn a foreign language, it takes time. It's kind of a long process unless you are completely immersed in an environment where only that language is spoken. In that case, you can learn a language in like a week if you are in that sort of environment, if you really apply yourself. So I don't think there's any specific language which should be learned. I think it's entirely a personal choice. Okay. Um... What other questions do we have? Uh, Suraj says, I recently visited Malaysia and there were many occasions where they did not treat Indian people very well. Is there any reason behind this? I do not know. Um, if you look at uh, the relations between India and Malaysia from a geopolitical government-to-government -government perspective, the relations are, aren't very good. Uh, because of uh, certain provocations that Malaysia has done in the past few years, uh, 
and india did retaliate at some point in time by stop by by halting the purchase of malaysian palm oil india was uh, most likely was the biggest market for that so that kind of hurt malaysia's economy so the relations aren't very good between india and malaysia and it's because of the attitude of the malaysian government it was the regime of mahathir mohammed i believe which which was the uh, culprit at that time mahathir mohammed himself is of indian origin by the way i think from his mother's side or father's side one from kerala um so uh, i don't know what the attitude is in malaysia towards indians but you are reporting that there were some occasions or many occasions where they did not treat indian people very well so either it's because of the geopolitical thing that uh, india and malaysia the governments don't get along very well or maybe it's a cultural or religious thing because our culture and religion is different from theirs i mean overall our culture and religion is our own in malaysia it's it's entirely different so maybe that could be the uh, the possible reason i don't really know because i have not really paid attention to malaysia it's not that important a nation i am sure it's very important for the people who live there but from my perspective i have not really being been paying attention to it too much Utkarsh Sinha says China will be renaming cities in Arunachal Pradesh how should we reply to it can we rename the regions in Tibet if yes what's stopping India like i said cat versus tiger right now let us be the cat and let the tiger roar okay we are also not a very small cat if the tiger tries to come into our territory we know what to do with the tiger but words don't really matter real actions matter if the chinese actually try and come and try to take our territory we know exactly what to do right now they are simply provoking us and trying to uh, lay the foundation for a future opportunity that they may get in the future if they do get then they will they will like to claim it uh, so right now india should uh, let's say officially lodge a protest at at most and uh, apart from that we don't need to do, the government needs not need does not need to do anything what we can do is we can publish our own maps of tibet with uh, the original tibetan names or sanskrit names that's what we could do i th- nobody is stopping us the the citizens of india from doing that so uh, that's how we can reply from it reply to it from the government's perspective the reply is going to be response if any is going to be very measured very calm and uh, we're not going to give a knee jerk response because that's what they would like you know to make us seem like we are rattled so the government is going to have a very calm measured response but we the citizens can do whatever we want so why don't we some of us i mean I'm, there are lots of people watching some of you will have photoshop skills and whatever graphic design skills why don't you create a map of chinese occupied tibet with sanskrit names or tibetan names that that will be fun and and let's let's uh, promote those maps and put them on social media that's what we could do what's stopping us nobody's stopping us yeah so we can rename regions regions in tibet we can even region, re- rename regions in yunnan because re- yunnan itself uh, is not really chinese even even inner mongolia is not chinese even manchuria is not really chinese han chinese so yeah there's a whole can of worms in there when it comes to china right what else um dungar singh chauhan asks did ancient india have any stimulant 
or caffeinated drinks before coffee and tea were introduced by the British in the 19th century. So yes, tea, um, coffee for sure came from the Middle East, maybe from Arabia. Uh, tea could have been in India before that. If I, I, I have not really researched the origins of tea and when it was introduced into India. But uh, so the question, the real question is, did India have any such stimulants that were consumed? So I think uh, some some Indians have this habit of chewing beetle leaves and beetle nuts and all that. That I believe gives a kind of a kick or something. I've never done, done it myself. Uh, so that was there. I am sure tobacco must have existed and people would have chewed tobacco. Uh, I'm not sure where tobacco came from. And if it is uh, something that, that grows in Eurasia, but if it was there, then that could be a possibility. But if you go to the Vedic times, there is obviously the mentions of a, of somaras. So somaras was a stimulant. It was not an intoxicant. It was a stimulant. It's something that uh, warriors would drink, consume before they went into battle. It gave them this, you know extra energy. It was like an energy drink of some kind. It was called Somaras and there's so many copious references to Somaras in the Rig Veda. So yeah, that's the original stimulant that our ancestors had. But we kind of have lost track of what it was. Um, it, it used to be stalks that were pressed and the juices to come out of that and that was consumed. But which plant it was or tree it was, we kind of seem to have lost the understanding or knowledge of what it was. One of the candidates is ephedra. Ephedra is, is, is a, it's a plant that grows in, uh, in the northern parts of India, in Jammu and Kashmir, in uh, Himachal Pradesh, etc., Uttarakhand, Uttarachal, and also in Central Asia. So that kind of, you know, kind of ties in with the claims of the Aryan invasion theory. So that's something that people like to cite. But there is no evidence that ephedra is the plant in question, the Soma plant. So the Soma plant, its identity has been lost. So we don't quite know. But yes, it was the original intoxicant in India. Tejas says, your views on the removal of Mughals from NCERT textbooks. I, you know, history should be factual. I'm very clear about this. And if bad things happened, we need to be taught those bad things so that we can confront reality. And only when we confront reality and confront our past will we be able to move past that and go into a bright future. Because right now what we are, what we have is that we are not taught certain things. Of course, in the textbooks, they are over-glorifying the Mughals or glorifying them. Uh, there will be simply one chapter about the Maratha history of India, about the great Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaj. And there will be like one, I'm sorry, not one chapter, one paragraph, one paragraph. And there will be one paragraph about Subhashendra Bose and there will be entire chapters about the Mughals. So that is just wrong. What we need is a balanced treatment. And we need to be taught about what these people actually did to India. They were not some great benevolent rulers. There were horrific barbarians who did untold atrocities in India. So that's what needs to be taught. Unfortunately, we try to brush all these bad things under the carpet because, you know, secularism and whatnot, I don't know what it is. Um, so I would say that we should not remove any part of history from textbooks, but we should keep it, but we should approach it factually. The true facts have to be put forth. And I think, you know, 
it's it's politically not expedient at all and very dangerous to do such things so they, they, they keep on pushing it to the future future generations will do it so we're going to get we're going to stay stuck where we are unfortunately so my view is very clear history has to be factual we should not delete or expunge any part of history we should be taught that that's what i very strongly believe okay mm. what else do we have dr jayashankar supremacy says do you think what do you what do you think should what do you think should the government <laughs> replace the great mahatma's picture with nitaraj's picture on our rupee notes i think uh, we have given the mahatma the, the mr gandhi mr mohandas gandhi uh, many decades of our time i think we you know it's time to move on we have so many great people who have uh, walked the great land of india and who have served the motherland so why not give them also um, the recognition and the honor and and the tribute that we can pay to them by by having their picture on the currency notes so one of the candidates that comes to mind immediately is nitaji subhashchandra bose the other i can think of is uh, chhatrapati shivaji maharaj Uh, we know what he looked like because we have portraits of him and we also had obviously many great kings and rulers in the past whose portraits we don't have so it's kind of hard to put them on currency notes so i would imagine it will be more recent historical figures who would have to go on his uh, on rupee notes um so yeah maybe it's time i don't know it's up to the government to do that but the problem is that the government will not do such a thing because it's dangerous it's dangerous because you're going to lose votes most people still believe that mr mr gandhi was a great uh, mahatma he was a politician right but he has been marketed as a mahatma that's a kind of brand building that has been done and that's still politically very convenient so it won't happen anytime Anytime soon, it looks like. Rishabh says, is it, "Is it possible to become an athlete, boxing, powerlifting, weightlifting, etc., and study or do a job at the same time?" It's certainly possible to, to look. It's certainly possible to stay fit. You know, stay in shape. You can certainly spend a day or uh, an hour or so every day in the gym. Let's say ninety minutes a day in the gym. i mean going and coming will take some time and all but 60 minutes a day you can certainly do that and you can stay really fit in those 60 minutes uh, so you can uh, do boxing sessions power lifting sessions weight lifting sessions all that in the gym you can do that but being an athlete typically means that you are doing track and field activities which take a lot of time so if you want to be a proper athlete and compete in events and all that you cannot do that and also study or have a job at the same time but you can certainly have a job and go to gym every day and stay very fit you can certainly be a student study full time and also go to gym every day and stay fit but you can't have a job and also be a competitive athlete that's impossible uh, well as far as i can say it's impossible i'm sure some superhuman people can do it but for most of us ordinary people it's it's more or less impossible right okay Okay, Vladimir Vladimirovich, Vladimirovich, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin says, "Guys, create a map of Chinese-occupied Tibet." I would 
exhort all of you to please go ahead and do that go ahead and do that and and uh, tag me on twitter or whatever or, or you know we'll we'll find a way of publicizing these maps please do that <laughs> okay all right um the Indian Navy is pushing for a third aircraft carrier. Do you think it's a smart decision? I remember you saying that the Navy should focus more on submarines and corvettes, etc. There is a logic that you have to employ. Let's take a look at the map. Look at the Indian coastline. It's an enormous coastline. And the area of our interest, of our strategic interest, is the is the Indian Ocean region north of the equator, all the way up to the Strait of Malacca, all the way up to the Strait of Hormuz, and all, all the way to the Gulf of Aden. That's our region of interest. It's an enormous region. So if you have a single enormous ship, an aircraft carrier, it will have a certain radius of influence. And it's also going to be a place where you are concentrating all of your lethality and you're investing a huge amount of money. An aircraft carrier costs anything between 3 to $10 billion. Let's say we go for a third one, which will cost, let's say, three to let's say $5 billion, all in, all invested. You're going to put, let's say, 50 aircraft on it, helicopters, all that stuff. There's a whole lot of investment in just one place, right? And there's a whole lot of lethality in one place. It's an incredibly enticing target for the enemy, whoever it is. And you have to defend it using lots of other ships. You need to have at least one submarine patrolling the area. You need to have at least three to four destroyers and a whole bunch of other ships protecting the aircraft carrier. So it's not just those $5 billion worth of money that you're investing. You're investing much more. It's extremely expensive. And what do you get out of it? You can control a certain area. But it's also dangerous. In, in the same money, if you invest in, let's say, 50 different ships of different kinds, you can more effectively control a much larger area and distribute your lethality over a much larger surface area of the ocean. Does it not make more sense? I'm just talking logically. I have nothing against aircraft carriers. I think they're majestic. It would be fun to be the captain of an aircraft carrier. It would be like the greatest uh, flex that you could have in the Navy. Yeah? But that's not something that serves our national interest. We already have two. Let's... So I don't know what the Navy's logic is. Okay? Obviously, I have never served in the Navy or in the armed forces. So you could claim that I'm an armchair general, but there is a logic. There's the logic of strategy. And a lot of the great strategists never served in the armed forces. Uh, one of the great strategists of all time has been on our channel, <clears throat> Dr. Edward Luthwak. He did serve in the, in, in the military in, in, in his youth. Uh, so I'm not sure what his opinion is. I think he has also said that we don't need that India should not have more than two aircraft carriers. It's not necessary. That money can be used elsewhere to distribute our lethality. If you have, let's say, 50 ships or 100 ships spread out over a large area, how many will you take out? They will all be, have their own defenses. So it's easier to take out a single aircraft carrier by by concentrating a whole 
let's say, hail of missiles. But if you have so many ships spread out, it's very hard to take them all out and they can always take you out. So it makes sense to have to invest that money in lots of different kinds of ships, submarines, corvettes, destroyers and whatnot, instead of putting everything in all your eggs in one basket. So, yeah, that is my perspective. Maybe the Navy doesn't exist and uh, doesn't, doesn't agree, agree with me. Okay, Pakistani claims that Parini was born in ancient Pakistan. We don't know exactly where where uh, Acharya Panini was born. He was born in the Indian subcontinent, which was all India at the time. Now, we don't quite know the location. Maybe it was the Suvastu Valley, which is now called Swat, which is temporarily part of Pakistan. So, it doesn't matter what... See, Pakistan itself is, is Indian territory. Okay, it's a temporary matter that it's currently what it is. So, Pakistan did not exist before 1947. So, even if somebody was born in what is now Pakistani ter territory before 1947, it doesn't make that person Pakistani. Okay, that person was Indian. So, you know, it's all, <laughs> it's kind of a joke what these people do. We don't need to take them seriously. Right, okay, what next? What next? Harsh says, were there any special military units in ancient India like the Spartans? Well, I'm sure we would have had all kinds of elite military units and all that. But the records of these uh, things are all lost because of the destruction of our great ancient libraries. So all the records of our history were burned down by the barbarians who did this. So we don't quite know how armies were organized, what sort of cavalry we had, what sort of infantry we had, what siege warfare uh, equipment we had, if any, um, mounted warriors, elephant, uh, elephant, uh, elephants used in warfare, all those things. What sort of logistical arrangements did we have? An army runs on logistics. Logistics is the key to any military success. Logistics is all about supplies, supplies and communications and all that. That's that's the boring work, but that's what keeps an army in in you know going. So obviously, all of this would have existed. Logistics is a very interesting uh, field and a very complicated field, very hard, very difficult. So you're always running into problems in logistics, but you have to fix them, solve them. So we don't know how it was done because we have lost all the records of our past. So I don't know. I don't have the answer. But it's a very good question you're asking. And I'm glad to see people asking such interesting questions. All right. <clears throat> okay, other questions. Uh, Atharva says, just a day ago, Rolls-Royce, the aircraft engine manufacturer, confirmed an export license for combat engine technology transfer to the, for the AMCA fighter. Will this set the stage for India's indigenous jet engine production? So I haven't seen this news yet. Okay, I am, I, this is the first time I'm seeing this. Uh, so it's what you're saying is that they confirmed export license for combat engine technology transfer. If there is See, export license typically means that you can they can export something to your country. That's what it typically means. It could also be interpreted as you can build it in your country under license. 
and they will send some kits or whatever you can assemble it over here and some components you can manufacture over here that's the other interpretation when you're saying technology transfer that is something that i would imagine that rolls royce would not want to do because that technology they have developed over many decades and why would they transfer it to another nation uh if they're actually doing technology transfer that's wonderful that's good for us but i am kind of skeptical about any such news report i think that we're going to have to do it the hard way maybe work with the french and maybe pay pay a huge amount of money for the technology but eventually we will have to do it uh so i don't know what's what quite is what's quite happening i will look at the news report and maybe then we can revisit this part of the thing but it's an interesting report that you have brought out over here okay um <clears throat> what else do we have we have lots of questions d says i'm a student science student 12th class i want to take advice from you about for my, for my future profession how can i do so listen i can only advise you about what what profession you should take if i know you personally only if i know you personally if i know your likes and dislikes what you are good at what you are not so good at what your aptitudes are only when i know you personally can i give you an actual advice so uh, so you know the the best thing to do is to uh, take advice from somebody you actually already know in person you know uh, so so that's what what i can tell you maybe somebody a teacher or a professor or some elder person somebody with experience go to them and tell them that what your what your future plans are what your future hopes and aspirations are and because they know you personally they'll be able to guide you much better than me i would be able to guide you because i don't really know you right okay devansh says why is russia silent on finland so finland has joined nato isn't it okay do we know where finland is let's go and find finland on the map where is the map so we know where india is then we go westwards into europe then we go into northern europe and we have the nation of finland over here here we are the capital city is helsinki helsinki and it's quite close to sankt petersburg st petersburg so finland has recently in the past week or so if i'm not mistaken joined nato officially so the question is why is russia silent on finland see what finland has done is they've done what they the thing has really changed finland was already very strongly in the us and nato camp so this is simply putting the stamp of of finality on that stamp of approval so now it's official it's 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 rubber stamped but the situation hasn't changed finland was already very much part of the western alliance so uh so there's no point talking about it and russia doesn't need to react to it i'm not sure if they've spoken about this or reacting to it <clears throat> chirag says why doesn't india have more vassal states india has never been in the past 70 plus years a powerful nation india became a nation state in 1947 since then india has pursued a path of extreme mediocrity because of our leaders it's only in the past let's say decade let's say decade that india has become a nation that's now beginning to rise to its potential but 
before that it's all been mediocrity and low standards so when you are a mediocre nation when you are not powerful when your economy is not growing when you don't have significant military might you're not going to have vassal states you will not have a big sphere of influence and we do not when you don't have a big sphere of influence beyond your borders how will you have vassal states it doesn't make any sense right doesn't make any sense so that's why and also we don't believe in in you know we have a certain way of doing things it's a cultural thing we don't bully other nations we don't colonize or occupy nations and we don't take vassals but let's see how it goes in the future so that's the reason why historically in the past let's say 2 300 years india does not india has not had vassal states you go back to the chola times the entirety of southeast asia was our vassal yeah and uh, the kushan times and gupta times and all it was all different uh, a very different scenario okay octar says i'm good at I am good at only mathematics. I have passed the 12th standard exam. What should I do? Well, you are facing the kind of dilemma that that Srinivas Ramanujan Ramanujan faced. He was good at only maths, but he was a genius at math. Uh so listen, once again I don't know you personally, so I cannot give you advice. I can give you very bland generic advice that I can give to anybody, but that won't help you. and i can't give you the advice you really need unless i know you personally and understand what you're all about so once again i would say that what you should do is go and seek out somebody who is experienced somebody who is who will who will care for you and who will want to take you in the right direction and take their advice that's what i would say because without knowing you personally i really cannot give you the right advice all right um please talk about putuluri veerabhad veerabrahman brahmendra swami i'm sorry it's a very long name i'm not able to putuluri veerabrahmendra swami uh unfortunately i don't know who that is so can't talk about them about about uh, this person sorry Okay, let's see what else. What else? What else? What else? What else? Should India adopt gun culture for personal safety, just like the US, considering the increasing incidence of clashes among communities? Listen, if you have an increasing uh, trend of increasing clashes among communities, first of all, I am not seeing that uh, the trend. Okay, these clashes or whatever it is, these frictions have always been there, but only now. Now, the thing is that it's all coming out on social media. it's always been there uh, i'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing i'm just saying it's it's always been there not always but for a long time uh so should india adopt gun culture let's say you have tensions between two communities three communities whatever and they don't have guns so whatever if at all any violence happens it's going to be limited to a certain kind of thing but imagine now everybody, everybody has guns imagine what can happen So I think the answer is not that everybody should have guns. That's not the answer. The answer is better policing, better better uh, enforcement of the laws and and the rule of the law. That's what needs to happen. Gun culture is not going to help anybody. Gun culture is very dangerous. So we know what happens in the US. Every other day there's an active shooter somewhere. It's terrible. It's tragic. Tragic what's happened to the to the to the, to the nation. 
that's what they have done to themselves, unfortunately. It's very tragic. Okay. Ayushman Singh says, why did America not nuke Tokyo? I am not sure if they had plans of nuking Tokyo or not. Um, so I think they bombed, they nuked Hiroshima first and then Nagasaki as a means of warning the Japanese government. That look, this is what we can do to you. And if you don't uh, surrender, maybe Tokyo is next. So I'm not sure if they had made plans to nuke Tokyo, but they certainly had the ability. So maybe they wanted... See, when you uh, defeat a nation and when you take over a nation, you want to take it as much intact as possible. You don't want to take over a nation that is flattened and destroyed. Yeah? So it makes sense to leave it as undamaged as possible. And when you take over a nation, think from the perspective of an invader, a colonizer. When you take over a nation, you want a ready-made system that will now serve you. So if you destroy Tokyo, all the bureaucracy and the government machinery will be destroyed. Then you will have to train people and set it up all, all over again, which is a very tedious, long and time-consuming time procedure. So that also makes sense. And that's also could be that also could be a reason why they did not nuke Tokyo. Maybe they kept it for later and they did not have to ever use it. So these are the possibilities. I'm not really sure if they had plans of nuking Tokyo. Maybe they did, perhaps. I mean, it would make sense for them to have such a plan. Right. Um Dur Jati says, Can India survive AI technology? Digitally colonizing our businesses and dictate terms as West owns most of the AI. Rajiv Malhotra says so. Please answer. Uh, I think India can certainly do very well in AI. Uh, all the AI startups, all the AI companies, everything that's available online, it's all Western, it's all American. Chat GPT, OpenAI is American. Uh, Bard, Google's AI is also American. Uh, we also have Bing AI, which is also American. So all these AI companies, etc., they are all American. And obviously, if you rely on them entirely, it's going to end up, uh, yeah, you could say, digitally colonizing your nation. So India obviously has extremely talented people. I'm sure my, many of the people who are working in these AI companies and startups are of Indian origin, right, uh, in the US. So India has no shortage of talented people. But... Uh, the question is, why does India not produce the next Google or the next Facebook, the next Twitter, next Instagram or the next chat GPT? That's the question, right? Uh, I think Indian business people are very risk averse and they want to put money in a very safe thing. They don't want to do a lot of R&D, which is risky and you may lose money. It takes time. They want to see returns on their investment immediately. That's why nobody is investing in these speculative ventures. Look, AI three years ago was completely speculative, right? You could train all these neural networks with enormous amounts of data, but you, don't, you, did, not, you did not know what's going to happen. You could be optimistic and you could hope for your your uh, the way you're doing things go well, but maybe you're going to lose all that time and all that money. So these things are risky. The biggest rewards come from taking risks. So India can certainly, you know, create its own AI systems, we have data. We have a huge amount of data ourselves, but we don't quite leverage it. 
so if things continue the way they are continuing then yeah india could get digitally colonized by the west so we have to be aware of this and hopefully somebody starts an indian ai company or multiple indian ai companies that will be great because the one thing that you also see uh if you use these ai systems is what i have spoken about a very long time ago like 2 years ago or something uh, i think no there is i don't think i know for a fact that on this channel there is a sh- a clip of me answering a question about algorithm bias so there is something called algorithmic bias which i have gone into detail about in that clip so we are actually already seeing algorithm bias in some of the answers that these ai systems uh, give you you know they are trained to do certain things they are they are constrained in certain ways and the answers they give are you could if you know how to <laughs> you know where to look you can you can see you can tell that there is a bias implicit in all this and that's because of the kind of data these ai systems were fed when they were trained so yeah so india needs to you know ensure it's not left behind in the ai race okay <laughs> jay dikshit asks a very interesting question the princely state of kalath balochistan after independence wanted to join india and not pakistan and india asked uh, oman asked india to have gwadar so why did we refuse wasn't it a strategic land yeah well you're right the khan of kalath the last khan of kalath wanted kalath to accede to india not to pakistan and kalath is a is a significant portion of balochistan so essentially the khan of the khan of kalath was was the de facto ruler of balochistan itself so he wanted kalath or balochistan to accede to india to become a part of india and oman wanted india to have gwadar and what happened is that we got neither gwadar nor balochistan we gave it all up and we refused the balochi request to accede to india and we refused the khan of uh, the 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 sultan of oman's offer to to take uh, gwadar so why did we do it that's a question that will need a detailed explanation it will take at least 20 or 25 minutes to bring out all the patterns but what i can tell you is that the great shri jawaharlal nehru made these choices and there are no real logical explanations for these choices makes no sense whatsoever but yeah he did that okay what other questions do we have um aditya says what's quantum entanglement in hawking radiation let's take the second one first what's hawking radiation so we all think of black holes as this giant vacuum cleaner that suck everything in right but uh if you uh, study black holes properly you will see that black holes have a temperature there is black holes uh black holes have a number of properties mass charge and angular momentum these are the three intrinsic properties that a black hole can have and black holes also have temperature it's called the hawking temperature and because they have a temperature they radiate so that's that's in very brief what a hawking radiation is so black holes aren't dark they actually radiate a flux of particles depending on the temperature so if it's a small the smaller a black hole is the hotter it is and the more it will radiate and the larger a black hole is is a, 
the colder it is and the less it will radiate and supermassive black holes depending on the size will could actually end up being colder than the cosmic microwave background radiation temperature which means that they will not radiate they will accrete and they're really really dark they are genuinely dark so uh, that is what hawking radiation is it is the phenomenon by which black holes radiate quantum entanglement is a <laughs> it's it's where you have so let me give you a very you know crude analogy entanglement so it's when two particles are connected in such a way that they actually form a single system so let's say you have one particle that is over here in my in this room and you have one particle which has reached the andromeda galaxy let's say many hundreds maybe thousands millions of light years away from here and yet those particles are still connected to each other and if you see one particle and measure its properties you will immediately instantaneously know the properties of the other particle which is like light years away so it's spooky action at a distance faster than light travel of information looks like it appears like it is so but it's not quite quite that it is, what it is so what do you mean by entangled particles so think of it like this i buy a pair of gloves okay a left handed glove and a right handed glove and i put them in different boxes you know i close my eyes i shuffle the gloves together then take one glove put in one box and take another glove and put in the other box and i close the boxes seal them off and i send one box to my friend in tokyo and i send the other box to my friend in paris okay now i don't know which went where and neither do the recipients but when my friend in Tokyo opens the box and let's say finds that it's a left-handed glove then that person will immediately know that the person in Paris has a right-handed glove right and let's say instead of Tokyo and Paris i send one to mars and i send one to the andromeda galaxy so my martian friend when he or she or it will open the glove and it sees one glove let's say it's a right-handed glove he or she or it will know immediately that the one in andromeda is the other one so that's the kind of thing that, that's that's a very crude way of explaining what entanglement is so when two particles are entangled they have the same uh, they form the, they are the same system and they are the the wave they are described by a single wave function that i mean i'm not sure if it makes sense to you but that's what it is so that's what quantum entanglement is it's a phenomenon that happens at the ultra microscopic hyper microscopic level the subatomic level all right next what do we have we have all kinds of other questions okay let's take this one sun shades one says we know about de-dollarization how fast do you think it will happen it has been in the news a lot these days your thoughts de-dollarization you know it's easier said than done the dollar is the world's has been the world's reserve reserve currency for a very very long time lots and lots of decades ever since uh, 1944 if i think if i if i remember, remember correctly the britain woods agreement and all the conference and all that and the us is still the most powerful nation in the world its influence may be decreasing but its power hasn't decreased so yeah of course they are doing all these stupid things like printing enormous amounts of money over one weekend they printed 300 billion dollars of worth of money just created money out of thin air because they own the currency so they can do whatever they want 
and clearly there is a trend there is a desire among nations saudi arabia iran india the uae china russia etc to move away from the us dollar because if you trade only in dollars and you deal only in dollars then the americans can control everything and they can cut you off from the system anytime they want and they can destroy your economy but if you are not using the dollar then it's impossible essentially for the americans to do that and we have seen what the americans have done in recent times to iran to yemen and in the latest instance to russia you know they cut russia off from the swift system the international financial system and they imposed those sanctions on russia but russia has been able to withstand and uh, those sanctions and do reasonably well but imagine if it happens to your country you don't want that to happen so the it makes sense to move away from the dollar and use other currencies so india is now entering into agreements with a whole lot of nations uh, for using the rupee as the currency of exchange for various uh, uh transfers of of uh, value uh, we also have the saudis agreeing to uh, to trade in the in the yuan we have the rupee ruble agreement and so on so it's a process that's happening slowly uh i don't see it happening very rapidly and the dollar dollar going out of business anytime soon but yes there is definitely a trend to move away from the us dollar and that trend may gather steam as time goes by Lakshay Kaushik says, "Your thoughts on UFO or UAP, and why India is not researching this phenomenon? Well, unfortunately, you don't see UFOs in Indian skies. These UFOs or UAP, un, un whatever aerial phenomena, they only seem to happen in the US. They only seem seem to bless the US with their presence." Uh, i can't remember the, see nowadays everybody in india has cell phones everybody has video cameras so how come nobody is uh, witnessing such things in or in or indian skies so we don't see any ufo footage or or images coming out of india if it is there it must be very rare so if it's not happening here how do we research it should we send our scientists to the to the us so that they can witness this phenomena or there it seems to happen all the time so you know so that's the reason it doesn't happen here so the aliens if they exist they only want to come to the us <laughs> uh, what what sense does it make tell me okay all right let's see what else grimzo bad says how to cope with society follow, forcing you to follow the norms and force you to stay on the safe side Yeah well you got to take risks of course you can't take stupid risks you need to first learn risk management by taking very small risks and see how seeing how it goes so a, a bad example perhaps would be the stock market example you could let's say you have a bank balance bank uh, account balance of let's say 1 lakh rupees okay just a hypothetical example so you what's the example of a big risk you take all the money and put it into stocks and you don't have any experience so you you essentially gambling that's a big risk what you can actually do is you instead of taking that 1 lakh rupees you you invest 1000 rupees every month in various stocks and see how it performs and you do it for the next 3 years keep on investing 1000 rupees a month that's not a big amount of money 
in that way you will be able to gain a lot of experience and see how the various stocks perform so that's how you do risk management you have to learn it unfortunately we don't we're not taught these things in school so yes society will force you the society will want you to stay in a certain lane society wants you to be average be like everybody else do what everybody else does take the safe job you know do the same things so clearly you, you you're not happy with that you want you want to be different so there seems to be something inside you that says that i want to be different i want to be better exceptional whatever it is so if you want to be different it's certainly worthwhile but it's not easy it's a hard path and yeah people will try to dissuade you people will try to make it difficult for you people will, will make fun of you especially if you don't succeed immediately people will make fun of you people very close to you will do that to you so it's not easy but you know the great people they are all different they all took the path that other people don't take so how to do it you have to first become mentally very strong emotionally very strong we indians are ruled by emotions we are very emotional people so we have to put the emotions aside emotions have a place in life but not everywhere you don't need to make everything all about emotions so you have to find a way of becoming mentally strong and you have to know what path you want to tread and then you have to follow the path and do it properly take risks but not enormous risks and that's how we do it so that's what i can tell you in a generic manner because i don't know exactly what your you know likes dislikes aptitudes are but yeah you have to find your own way that's what it is okay <laughs> what should i do says kirag do i do business or join the indian army as an officer to contribute to the country most i am good at business and i'm 19 you should do what you are good at there are 1.4 billion people in the country i'm sure millions of them are really good at fighting many millions of them are good at strategy and tactics let those guys who really love it who are made for it let them go into the armed forces in case you are better at something else then you should pursue that in case you are really good at fighting and you are really good at fitness and you are really strong and tall and you are you have a good strategic outlook and all that then you should go for the army for sure because you're good at that but if you are already good at business and you know that go for business and contribute to the economy in that manner you know create jobs create products do all that so do whatever you're best at that's what i would tell you okay <laughs> can we trust press and journalism no you can't you cannot i'm sure there are some journalists out of 100 maybe there are two or three journalists who are entirely completely 100 100% uh, honest and i'm sure that out of 100 at least 50 journalists will be good people but even if you are a good person you are still doing a job and you are paid by someone you have a boss you have an employer and when you are paid by that person or by that organization you have to do what what is expect what they expect of you if you disagree with whatever they want you to do then you should not be on their payroll and for most people you know it's important to have a steady steady income so 
journalism has become that sort of thing you know people used to believe that journalism is this noble endeavor and it's all about truth and all that it's not the case okay most news is well it's agenda driven most news actually is propaganda most journalism is peddling various kinds of narratives and propaganda so like i said disclaimer that some people will be good but overall the majority of it is like that so you cannot trust the press and you cannot trust news reports and most journalism please be aware of this suraj kumar says i have no money for super chat well i'm not asking you for money i don't uh, super chat is turned off right so yeah i i i turned off super chat like i had tried it a few times but uh, what i found is that many of the people many of the viewers over here on the channel are kids youngsters you know students and i have been a student we have all been there when you were a student you were a when you were a student you were broke you don't have any money of your own so how can you expect students to uh, to pay money to ask to to have their question answered so i realized this very early and i and i turned off super chat maybe once or twice i may have turned it on just for, just to see how it goes but uh, on this channel there is no super chat you don't have to uh, pay me money to ask me questions please that is that is horrific i i don't believe in that all right more questions oh we already one one hour 50 minutes mark wonderful yeah good god how to how to stop having suicidal thoughts i um i have no idea because i've never been there i would say please consult uh, talk to your elders consult a psychiatrist psychologist whatever it is and get some help okay get professional help i have no idea what would cause such things one would imagine it would be depression or something like that or or something else. i i don't i am not an authority in this field if you have such a thing please immediately consult a professional okay and and please talk to your family talk to your elders talk to whoever you trust and please take professional help that's what i would say all the best sir all the best please get well okay some other questions let's see skelly says skelly skelly says why does no one see russia as the next superpower and why do people think that china and india are the only nations that can surpass big daddy big daddy usa in the geopolitical game see we know at what rate india is growing china is growing economically and russia is growing russia's economy is not growing anywhere close to the the kind of economic growth china had in the past and the kind of growth india is having right now so economically russia is not slated is is not in a position because of simple mathematics it's not in a position to surpass the us in this century the the chinese also see what's happening to their economy their economy is contracting their gdp growth is is has been negative in recent times and even if it starts growing again it will be like 2% 3% per year maximum 4 or 5% if at all so china is based on the trends and simple pure math china is no longer in a position to ever surpass the us in this century economically by 
the end of the century, China's population will be half of what it is today. And the average age will be most likely in excess of 60. Imagine the average person around you is 60 years old. <laughs> That's the situation China is going to face. It's already getting there slowly. So China is not going to surpass the US. Russia, well, Russia has the world's largest military uh, nuclear arsenal. And it has this enormous territory which makes it an autarky. An autarky is a nation that's completely self-sufficient in all basic things, all basic necessities, resources, you know, metals, iron ore, coal, uh, natural gas, petroleum, agriculture, all the basic stuff that you need to run an economy, everything is there. So Russia is really blessed from that perspective, but it's not growing economically. And its population is also slowly declining, you know. Uh, so Russia faces that problem. China faces an even more uh, drastic problem. And the only nation that's projected or capable of surpassing the US economically in this century is India. That's the only nation, right? So Russia, I would say it is not quite a superpower, but it's the it's a great power, purely based on the kind of resources it has. And also because it has the world's largest nuclear arsenal and the missiles and all the capability to deploy and deliver those those nuclear weapons anywhere they want. Rilesh Kushwaha says, why is there no talk about Aksai Chin as much as we talk about Pakistan-occupied Kashmir? Well, Aksai Chin is in Chinese hands. And for the longest time, we Indians thought of the Chinese as invincible because we have heard about 1962. Well, we are not taught what happened in 1967. There was another war between India and China, and we defeated the Chinese in that. In 1987, also, the Chu clashes and all that, we got the better of that. So, um, but we, but your teachers won't teach you that. Your history textbooks will not write about it. The, the media will not talk about it. So you will not know about this, and you will keep having this inferiority complex that China is, you know, invincible. So I think that's the reason why nobody talks about Aksai Chin, because people feel in India that, you can't take anything from China. It's just impossible. China is just too, just too powerful, too strong. So that's why we talk about POK all the time. I get 17, 28 questions per day at least about when are we going to take back POK. But nobody asks about Xi Chin. I think that's the reason why. Because we have this image that's been created in our minds that China is invincible and India is no match for China, which is complete fiction. But yeah, that's why. Okay, let's see what else do we have. <laughs> Ramai Raj Singh says, need a definitive answer. Was Lord Ram a non-vegetarian? Have Sanatanis been non-vegetarians or is this a written, recent pickup? Listen, um, I don't know. I don't know. And if I answer one way or the other, it's going to create a controversy and I'm going to get a whole lot of hate. <laughs> so listen, I don't know. We have the incident of uh, Lord Rama, you know, hunting a deer because uh, Lady Sita wanted the, the deer's uh, skin. But then people have all kinds of esoteric interpretations of that. That uh, that she didn't did not want Rama to kill the deer. She just wanted Lord Rama to bring the deer back so, so that she could play with it. That's one interpretation people give. So, you know, I maybe they are right. Maybe maybe what we believe is wrong. I don't know. So my answer is, I don't know. Lord Rama was a king. 
he was a kshatriya kshatriyas typically have been non vegetarian but who knows you know in the old days maybe they were not but when you are a warrior you need a good source of protein and meat is the easiest source of source of protein but then when you say such things it it really offends people and people get upset so my answer is going to be that i don't know you know i i i just don't know <laughs> what about uh, people of india have they been non vegetarians or is this a re- recent thing i think in india india is a subcontinent sized piece of geography you will always have a huge amount of diversity of cuisine of of uh, dietary choices and all that so it's it india has never been a single monolithic monochromatic uniform ethnic group right we are bound together by one civilizational heritage it's the civilization and culture that binds us together but otherwise the cultural diversity is immense so you you have people in india today who are purely vegetarian and who follow the same culture and you have people in other parts of india who will eat fish but they consider that to be vegetarian and there are some people in other parts of india who eat other kinds of meat so it's a very diverse place so i think indians overall have valued non-violence and vegetarianism but there have always been as far as i can understand indians in various parts of india here or there who have eaten eaten meat all right let's take two three more questions okay let's see what do i think about the tate brothers i really don't know much about the tate brothers they are very controversial very much in the news and uh, they have very strong opinions and they are like le- leading what they call the manosphere or whatever it is i don't quite know i have never watched a single podcast or interview of one of the tate guys andrew tate is it and uh, i i I've, i've heard i know what the reputation is like you know very strong opinions and uh, masculinity and uh, they are accused of being misogynistic and uh, worse things as well so my answer is i don't quite know because i've never really had much of an interest in who these people were so yeah i i don't quite know you know but yeah it's it's good that we discuss this about what's what's happening these days over here around the world okay isro ani says isro and nasa have said that due to global warming the coastal cities like mumbai goa kolkata etc and other coastal cities in the world like tokyo and so on and so forth uh by 2030 2050 means you mean they'll go under the water how much of this is true listen climate change has always existed so climate change is real anyone who claims climate change doesn't exist is uh, well <laughs> climate change has always been there ever since our planet was born the climate has been changing now obviously the climate is changing now as well and obviously some of it is man made so there is a human made component to the climate change that we are witnessing now now if you look at photographs of the statue of liberty in new york taken 100 years ago and if you take photographs today the sea level is the same the global warming has been happening but the sea level is the same so uh i'm not saying that is this means that the sea levels won't rise in the in the future sea levels have varied a lot in the past i mean about 10000 years ago the sea levels were about 150 150 meters below where they are right now so sea levels will rise and fall 
and right now we are definitely witnessing a period of warming and the, and a trend of warming every year little bit little bit more so from that perspective it makes sense that sea levels will indeed rise over time so i don't know when it will happen maybe by 2050 i don't think i don't think you will see significant changes by 2030 but yeah you may see changes by 2050 possibly so we don't quite know and it's it's still um, you know predicting these things is still a very uh, the, the predictions aren't very accurate because our science our understanding of science and our modeling etc it will not be that good thus far but yeah global warming is indeed a thing sea levels will overall rise over time how much in how much time we don't quite know but yeah some rise will happen by 2050 possibly possibly okay let me take one more question and then we are done for the day because it's already 2 hours plus um how can india develop soft power like i said uh, by doing good things soft power is your reputation you know your reputation which comes from your entertainment industry from your culture uh from your sporting performance from how rich or prosperous you are all these things so the key to developing soft power is to develop the economy which also develops your hard power <laughs> right okay i said i'll take one more question i will take one more question can a star exist without emitting any light ah uh, no no stars radiate lots and lots of electromagnetic radiation which is called light which is photons and yeah you could have hypothetical dark stars made up of dark matter it depends on what what dark matter is made of let's imagine it's just purely gravitating particles that interact only gravitationally and yeah if you bring sufficient numbers of particles together it will form a very huge mass and it could actually ignite under its own uh, weight it's it's interesting yeah dark stars they may still be dark but they may radiate in the gravitational spectrum but yeah that's that's purely conjecture and hypothetical stuff but uh, apart from that i would say that a star cannot exist without emitting any light because otherwise it would not be a star at, at all yeah all right i guess we are done for the day do i see anybody else how do one gain confirm confirm what i'm not quite sure what you're asking confirm yeah i'm i'm not sure i got i got what that what this means sorry um let's see yeah i took the stars question there are a million of the questions um let me maybe take one more question <laughs> Samarth says what was the original que- original purpose behind alcohol except for entertainment i i don't know what's the purpose of al- behind alcohol except for using it as a recreational drug i mean when a person drinks alcohol it impairs the nervous system and causes a different kind of behavior right you're not quite in control of what you are doing your 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 speech isn't normal your words will be slurred your control over the body is not the same you know drunken master fighting in boxing it kind of imitates a style so i think it's it's just a, a recreational drug 
it's entertainment it doesn't really have any health benefits or any such thing okay i guess okay <laughs> chiching says how do you gain confidence how do you gain confidence you gain confidence by through practice let's say you want to become let's just take the example of sport you want to be, get good at playing a certain sport or let's say yeah sport let's say so how do you do how do you build the confidence that i'm good by practicing 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 investing hours and hours and hours and doing it so many times over and over again that it becomes second nature then you're confident let's say you want to talk about public speaking for instance another another example well the first time you're going to go and face a face a number of people and give a speech it's going to be frightening for you so you're going to start small maybe you should start by practicing in front of the mirror or or practicing in front of front of your phone camera and do it over and over again let's let's say you do it for 20 days 3 weeks then you get used to talking then maybe you can build the con- you will feel that yeah maybe i can talk to two three people then you go and do it in front of three people and you do it for a few days then you will feel that yeah i can do it in front of 10 people now so you it is you do it in stages but the thing is that you have to put in the hard work if you put in the hard work the effort then it becomes second nature for you and it, you become confident so whatever field or skill you want to develop confidence in you have to dive into it and do lots of repetitions lots of repetitions over and over again keep on doing it keep on doing it keep on practicing and then it is impossible for you to not become confident and overall as a person how do you be confident some people are just overall confident right so it's by acquiring valuable skills and being able to genuinely contribute something to society and how do you know that somebody is has valuable skills and is contributing typically they'll be rich because if you have valuable skills and you're contributing those skills to society then society rewards you by giving you money so typically such people who are achievers are they end up being rich and then if you feel that it is to be confident you have to be rich but it's the other way around yeah so it's it's about that you have to be a valuable person for society and you provide some value and you have high value skills and you're really good at that that will automatically give you confidence so that's that's how you approach it okay i guess we are done for today all right so thank you very much everybody for all the questions tomorrow i am not going to do a live stream because i'm traveling but as you can see now the channel is is going in a certain certain direction and uh, new videos are coming out every day with some editing and stuff and it's going to continue so please enjoy the videos on the channel i will see you in the next live stream which will hopefully be sometime around the next weekend so until then take care and i will catch you very soon take care all of you see you soon bye good night good day bye bye